if you've been away at all, we've had a quite a bit of change just in recent weeks. So uh, last week I was appointed the interim senior pastor here. Um, the period is till about till Christmas, and if we can find a new person before then, um, or maybe longer if it takes a bit longer as well. Um, so, and and we've had a lot of change in a pretty short amount of time, and I think that everyone's feeling that a bit um, when there's there's big shifts and big changes. It can be a bit disorientating. It can be a bit um, troubling, unsettling, um, uncertain, and I think probably a lot of people are kind of feeling that in the, in the community here, not just in the morning, but at the night as well. But the really exciting thing is that from people I've talked to, the fair few people I've been speaking to acknowledge that, but they also acknowledge that there's this sense of real hope, um, anticipation of what God wants to do here, uh, anticipation of a new season, um, the, the excitement even of, of in difficult times, the, the need to pull together and really seek God and, and look to him and depend upon him. And there's this kind of tension of like, yes, things are hard, but there's also hope and, and opportunity for faith, opportunity for new life as well. And these two things kind of go together. And I think we're going to talk into it a bit today. This idea that particularly in the Bible, but also in life, and I think particularly in times of transition, there's tensions that, that come together. And tensions can be a bit unsettling sometimes, like life can be easier when it's sort of black and white and we go to extremes. But actually, when we realize that actually two things can both be true that seem contradictory, that we can be kind of even uncertain yet hopeful. They kind of are contradictory, but they can both be true. And we're going to look at a few of those today. Last week, um, if you missed it, we just started in the first bit of Colossians, Paul, the apostles, right into this church. And he just starts by thanking God for them and, 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 and thanking God for the work that God has done in this community. And we just said in this season, the thing that we can do first is just start to thank God for this place. Thank God for the church he's placed us in. Be grateful for the people he's given us with our weaknesses, with our faults, with the problems. But we start with a place of gratitude. And then Paul prays for this church. And, and as, as Janelle read the prayer that he prays before, that we want to keep praying this prayer for the knowledge of God's will, for, for his power to live worthy of him for endurance, for patience, that this is really a season to come together and really intercede and pray and seek God. And then we said last week, Paul then lifts in the passage, the first chapter, it lifts to this basically a hymn of praise of Jesus and who Jesus is. And he is the image of the invisible God. He is so powerful. He is the creator. He's the first and the new creation. He's above everything. And, and Paul just starts to praise Jesus. And in this season, what we have to do as well is focus on him. Focus on Jesus. Come back and realize we are a church of Christ. Jesus is at the center of this. It's all about him. He sustains it all. He's the head of it, and we center on him. But the interesting thing is, we're going to move on to the next little bit of chapter 1. We see a tension straight away that Paul is saying that Jesus is the head of everything. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus has victory. He's above every ruler, invisible, visible, everything. Yet, Paul is in prison. You think, that doesn't really make sense. He's a servant of Christ. Christ is in charge of everything, yet Paul is in prison, and he's suffering. And what we're going to talk about today is this idea of battle, and we sung about it before, and actually there being a battle that's been going on since the very early days in, in the world when God made this world, he made it good, he made us for, for a relationship of love with him, but we know that evil has entered this world and it's broken. And there's a war going on between God's good creation and God's will and his enemies that are against him, that are set on driving people away from him and destroying it. 
And the interesting thing is, though, that we know that, like Paul declares, Jesus is victorious. Jesus was the creator, and he's the start of the new creation. Jesus has defeated evil. Jesus has paid for our sins. Jesus is alive. He's in charge. But the battle's still going. You might have heard this before, this analogy of um, the World War II and there being two ends to World War II. There's D-Day, when the, when the war is basically won, but the battle keeps going for another year until VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, where it's actually finished. There's this period of transition where there's, there's victory, there's, the war's won, but they're still in a battle. They're in a battle that they've won, but it's not quite finished, and they still need to take this posture of battle. The interesting thing is we're in a transition here, or a season of transition, but the church is actually defined by transition. We have always been in a period of transition as a church. We're in a period of transition between Jesus' first coming to defeat evil, to rise from the dead, and his second coming when he will come back and he will rid it all. And actually, we're still in a battle. We're in a battle that's been won. Jesus has the victory, but it's not time to just sit back and say, well, now we can just be comfortable and, and peaceful and everything's all good. It's actually time to move forward and to stand and to be ready that there's still a fight going on. It's a fight that's been won, but it's still going on until Jesus actually comes back. And this is why Paul's in prison. There's still a battle going on, but it's interesting that there's these tensions within this battle that we're going to look at today. Before I do that, I just want to read you this quote. This is from Mark Sayers, just talking about the Western church and how in some ways we've kind of forgotten this. We've kind of forgotten that there's actually battle. And actually part of the church is a battle. Like There's, there's a, metaphors in the New Testament of the church being an army or soldiers and things like that. So this is what he says. Our lack of hardship weakens our resilience. This idea that kind of like the church in the West for a long time, we've had things pretty easy. It's been quite comfortable and it can lack in our resistance. We are born for a struggle, created for a cause, formed for a great battle. We as individuals find meaning in struggle, and the church is God's army. However, in the West, she has been away from the battle far too long. Not only has she forgotten how to fight, but she's forgotten that she's in a battle. What is more, she's come to expect peace. Resistance is foreign to her. What battle, she says. The armor of God is gathering dust in the corner. And we're going to start to just talk about this idea of battle, looking at some three points from what Paul is talking about in Colossians. And we need to be careful when we use this language, because it can be used wrongly as well. Sometimes we can sort of say, well, let's just get out there and fight. We need to remember, well, no, this is not a battle of flesh, but a battle of spirit. And we're going to look at this battle as well has some creative tensions and two things that seem to be opposite that are true. So as we go through, we're going to look at some three points and then kind of bring it all together from this passage in Colossians. So I might just pray, and then we'll look at this, this, this text together. So Father, we just thank you that you've given us your word and your spirit, and that you dwell with us here um, at Rivers, God, that, that we are meeting with you, Jesus, and we are your body, and that, as we read before, that you live in us, um, and you're with us. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak today um, to all of us, um, bring comfort, bring challenge, bring life, and bind us together. We just ask that you do that um, just by your power, God, by your spirit. Amen. Cool. So this is Colossians 1, 24. So Paul's in, Paul's in prison, right into this church. He says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. That already sounds strange, right? And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you see this, this is interesting, right? Paul is writing from prison and he's suffering. Yet he's saying that in these sufferings I rejoice. Now this, sound, this passage sounds a bit strange as well. He's saying that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Like, he's not, that, that's not saying that Jesus' death wasn't enough. It's not saying that Paul needs to add to Jesus' death. The, the word afflictions is never used of Jesus' atoning death on the cross. What it's saying is that Paul is identified with Christ and the people of Christ are still suffering. They're in this transition time. The victory is won, but there's still suffering that's going on. And through being identified with Christ, Paul's taking that on. But he's rejoicing. And it could be for a few reasons. He's rejoicing because he actually sees himself as taking their suffering from the Colossians. Some commentators say it like maybe Paul kind of sees himself as almost like directing the enemy fire away from the Colossians. It's like he's trying to be a distraction or a diversion to give them some peace. Other people have said that this, this period, it seems like may, maybe there's a certain amount of suffering that will happen, and Paul wants to take as much of it on himself to spare others, and he's rejoicing in that. And there's this, this tension here of Paul's suffering, yet he's rejoicing. He's actually happy. He's happy because he wants to, to take it on himself to spare others. He's happy because it's a sign that he's identified with Christ. And the people of Christ are different to the people of the world. And therefore, there will be suffering. There will be tension. So you see this first tension that in this battle, in this period between Jesus' first coming and second coming, there will be suffering. And actually, that's one of the first things to being a Christian, really, is that we follow a crucified Messiah. And we can forget that. That actually the first thing is not comfort or peace or security. There is that in God, but that's not apart from suffering. That, that actually following Jesus will involve suffering to some degree. But in the suffering, there's rejoicing. So in this battle we find ourselves in, it's a battle that there's suffering yet rejoicing. And Paul talks about this in other places as well. He talks actually even about the fact that when he suffers, when, when he's being, being attacked, and, and this is the man right, that God chose to, to share this message with the people who are not Jews, the Gentiles. Like He's an amazing man of God, called by God. It has all these terrible things happen to him. But he declares that in the midst of all of that, God is actually working and even working greater. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. These are some of the struggles he went through. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Paul's saying like the, the way that he's been told to go is this way of death, constantly dying, giving himself over 
Jesus' power coming and making itself known. There's actually this suffering and death, but this rejoicing and life that goes together. And we see at the end of this Corinthian passage, there's this famous verse. We see how Paul sees this and his, his, his vision in the midst of this. He says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And he, this is how he sees his suffering, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In the midst of that Roman prison, Paul is rejoicing because he has this vision of Jesus, that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus is coming back to defeat evil, that Jesus is working in the Colossian church, that all these awesome things are happening. And even when people are persecuting him and locking him up, God is not locked up and things are still happening. And he's like so excited about it. And I'm sure that his suffering is still suffering. It, it still is painful and hard and not comfortable and uncertain and difficult. And there's times even when he seems to ask for help or, and, and things are really hard. It's not that Paul's just like not touched by suffering, but that in this battle, though there is suffering, there's rejoicing. And I think this can be really important for us to, to recognize for our whole life as Christians, right, in this period between Jesus' first and second coming, but also for this period of transition, even just for us at Rivers here, that, that actually suffering, hardship, things dying, things changing, new life is actually part of the Christian walk. And actually what we're not promised is comfort and peace, and things staying the same. Peace with God, comfort by the Spirit, the certainty of who He is, that actually in transition, things, things will change, and that may sometimes feel like death. It may actually really hurt. It may actually feel like strong suffering. And one commentator I was reading says, this, this suffering that, that the New Testament talks about may not be always persecution. We, we often think of it as persecution, for Paul it was persecution. But there's other suffering that we experience as Christians, which is just the battle with temptation, the battle with the burdens that God has given us to carry, the battle just against the flesh, the things in ourselves that don't want to follow God and don't, don't, are opposed to God, and the spirit, the desires in us that want to follow him. And actually, there's, there's suffering. To, to let go of things that don't honor God, that are a part of us, is to die. It's actually to let those things die, which feels like death. It's not fun. But there's a joy in it because there's life that's coming. And as we transition, and, and, and if we're looking to a new season, which may look different, it may look like, it may feel like certain things that maybe we held dear, having to let go of them, may be painful. and may even feel like death. But there's life. And even in suffering, there's time for rejoicing. So in this battle that we're in, this spiritual battle, suffering yet rejoicing, we'll keep going. This is Colossians, the rest of chapter 1. Paul says this, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energies Christ so powerfully works in me. Another thing, that Paul shows in this passage, right, that he's got this goal of, of presenting people mature in Christ. He wants people to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. And he says, I strenuously contend that in this battle, that there is really hard 
work. Paul worked really hard. Right, he, he poured himself out. He says he's strenuously content. He talks about how he's conflicted about the church. He talks about his laboring in prayer. There's hard work, yet there's this creative tension that though there's hard work, there's empowering presence. And you even see that in what Paul just said. Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Again, these two things that seem to be opposite but are actually together that Paul is working hard yet it's Christ working through him he says this another another way where he's saying he's working so hard but it's just the grace of God working through him and there's actually a, a tension here where we can easily go to one of these extremes we can easily start to think that we don't have to work hard that let's just relax let's just sit back it's God's job God will do it and we just sit back or it's easy to go to the other extreme and think, well, it's all on us. We carry such a big burden. We have to work. We have to fight. We have to make it happen. And we kind of go on without God. But these things actually go together. Paul got them together. This is what um, one commentator, N.T. Wright, says about this. He said, the word struggling, whose root can mean to compete in the games, carries as often in Paul the idea of athletic contest. So Paul's focused and determined like an athlete. Paul does not go about his work half-heartedly hoping vaguely that grace will fill in the gaps which he's too lazy to work at himself. So he's not, he's not just sitting back and sort of saying, well, God will, God will fix it, God will do it. Nor, however, does he imagine that it's all up to him, so that unless he burns himself out with restless, anxious toil, nothing will be achieved. He doesn't go to the other extreme. He knows that God's desire is to bring Christians to maturity and that God has called him to have a share in that work. He can therefore work hard without the stressful motivation of either pride or fear. He thus becomes an example of that maturity, both human and Christian, that he seeks under God to produce in others. You see this, this, this tension in this battle of actually we do have a part to play, but it's the, the part really is to depend and trust and work with God and work through God's power. Jesus says this again, famous verse in John 15. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And in this season of, of transition, I think this tension is so important that our main job is to abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus, to trust him, which will, therefore, we, we still work but it's the work of trusting in him and resting. There's, there's hard things to do, but Jesus also says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there's these things that, again, seem contradictory, but can be together in God. He holds these tensions together. Well, keep going. This is the last one. This is chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Paul then says, I want you to know how hard I am contending. So again, this is like fighting, struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal, this is what I want, this is what Paul's saying, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and to delight, delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith 
in Christ is. You see, Paul's writing this letter and, and he's encouraging and he's excited about what's happening at Colossae, but he realizes that there's some troubles or even just potential troubles, that they actually have opposition. There's people that are coming and he says he doesn't want them to be deceived or, or deluded or people bring arguments that sort of lead them astray. There's, there's a few different people who think, different ideas people have about this. Probably one of the main ones is that these are sort of Jewish teachers wanting them to come back to some Jewish wisdom and Jewish practices rather than staying focused on Christ. Or others say that maybe it's a mystical kind of pagan, um, that you need to have this experience in, and add to Jesus and Paul's wanting them to know, stay Jesus is enough. So there's this opposition. But in the midst of this opposition, Paul's saying what he wants for them is this united resistance in the church. And he wants them to be this community of love and truth, of understanding the gospel and of being knit together in love. The, the, the NIV doesn't really bring out the fact that united is both. So it's not just united in love, but it's also united in the understanding. So it's a community of love and truth, of caring for each other and staying focused on the gospel, on Jesus. And actually that this is the provision to stand against opposition. That actually we, we, we will face opposition. We have to expect opposition. That there will be things that come that should try and lead us away from Christ. There will be temptations to take on the power of the world or the power of the flesh rather than to walk in the power of the Spirit. But God's desire and Paul's prayer for Colossae, and I think for us as well, is that we, this is the time to unite in love and truth in order to be a community that stays centered on Christ. The language Paul uses again there at the end, this idea of discipline and, and firmness, is this idea of an army that is, that is strong and ready, lined up and guarded. And this is a community that's centered around Christ in truth and love. And that's actually the thing to focus on. Not Don't focus on the opposition. Focus on this community and growing together. This is, John Mark Comer talks about this in this idea of the two victories and transition related to this. He said, we live between D-Day and V-E-Day, between Jesus' first coming to land the decisive blow and his second to end evil for good. And in the meantime, our job is to stand in that victory, to hold our ground, to cooperate with heaven's invasion of earth. Yes, we fight, but our fight isn't with swords or spears or AK-47s. It's with prayer and sacrificial love. So don't join a militia and go to war. Get on your knees and give your life away. And that's what we are to be about that the community of united resistance is a community of prayer, a community of love with the weapons of the Word of God and the Spirit of God and our love and our devotion and our sacrificial service, that that is actually the thing that centers us on Christ as we follow Him. So in this battle, what we said, there's, there's suffering yet rejoicing, hard work yet empowering presence, opposition yet united resistance. Yet when Paul is writing these letters, I just want to go back through this quickly. You can see just how focused Paul is on Christ and everything he's saying. He's talking about Christ's affliction, Christ's body. He wants the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. This is a crazy thing to think about this morning, right? Like we, we come to church every week and we're kind of just used to it. But what we're talking about is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. 
the mystery that most people in history had nothing, didn't know anything about, that, that God would come in Christ, that God wants the nations to know him and he wants to dwell in them, that the glorious riches of the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. We can take this for granted so easily, but we come back today and say, this is, this is holy, this is, this is mystery, this is God's plan for all the universe. Paul says he proclaims Christ, admonishing, teaching, all wisdom. His goal is that everyone's mature in Christ. Down here, he wants that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't need to go back to the Jewish um, the people who are leading them down that. Paul says Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he wants them firm in Christ. And we see for Paul, the battle is ultimately about Jesus. The battle is his, like we sung before. And he even holds these tensions together in himself, that he is the lion. He's the powerful one. He's the victorious one. Yet he was victorious by dying as a lamb. That the way Jesus defeated evil, the way Jesus brought us back, the way Jesus died for our sins was through sacrificial love. That that's actually his power. That's actually how he fights. And he was victorious. And he fights for us. And it's his battle. And our battle, as Paul is struggling and what he's contending for for them and for us and what, and what God wants for us, the battle is to stay focused on Jesus, to trust him to look at him, to mature in him, which means to let parts of ourselves that are not like him die. And it will feel like war. It will feel like a battle. It will not be easy and comfortable, but we can actually rejoice in that. That actually when God reveals things to ourselves that are not like Jesus, that don't honor him, it's not fun. But we can actually say, well, this is good. God is working in me. I want to die to that and live to the Spirit. I acknowledge that and let it go and live to the Spirit and keep walking with Him. This is what one author talks about, this war of the Spirit. He says this, the Spirit is at war with the flesh. So God and God's ways is at war with the ways of man that are opposed to God. Outside and within the church. And it's the duty of the church's members and leaders to stay in the ranks of the Spirit as he carries out that warfare, and not abandon the spirit to join forces with the flesh. Our job is to remain, abide in Christ, to depend on the spirit, to trust him, to let the things that are not of him die, and to seek and walk with him, to let him fight the battle. And our battle, and it is a battle, is to stay focused on him, and to love him, and to honor him. And we're going to take communion in a minute as, as we center on Jesus, the lion and the lamb. And as we do that, we, we, as always, we come with this gratitude where we are, we are participating in Jesus' um, grace and love and the mystery of God that's been revealed. But as we come today, I think today is also a time to confess in us the parts of ourselves that have, that have not been in this battle in the right way. Maybe we've been asleep and we've kind of been stepped back and we've kind of not wanted to fight, and we've kind of, it's just too hard, and we don't want to deal with what God wants to deal with. We don't want to step forward in courage, but we're hanging back in fear. And maybe today is the day to just confess that as we take communion, to see God's love and grace for us, 
to receive his forgiveness and love and step into that. Or maybe we've had the opposite problem and we've been, we've been doing it all our own strength, fighting, working, burdened, just holding it all and realizing that's actually the flesh. That's actually me trying to make things happen without God, which is actually not good. And actually to confess that and say, God, I come back. My job is to trust you, to walk with you, to work but with your empowering presence and maybe to confess that and to receive grace and forgiveness as we, as we come around the table today as well. So I'm going to pray. Maybe the helpers can come forward and we'll, we'll, we'll enter into this, this time of remembrance and this time of confession, this time of grace, um, and to enter into this with, with God. So Jesus, we just thank you that, that you are the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are, you are a powerful, victorious God. Yet you are the lamb who was slain, that you defeat evil, that you pay for our sins through your sacrificial love on the cross, and, and you call us to follow you. And we just ask, God, would you meet us in this place? Would you reveal to us the parts of ourselves, God, that are, that are not in line with you? Would you just remind us of your grace and your love and call us back to this place of faith in this, this creative tension God, and would you just help us to enter into this battle with you in your way by the power of your spirit. So we just thank you that you are here. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the mystery of the cross. And we just ask that you'd meet with us in this time now, Lord. Amen.